it's valuable and it cannot be held by physical hands, it's probably worth holding on to. This is Immaterial Treasures. I'm your host, Dan Fee Parker. Thank you for tuning in. What if I told you you could experience the feeling of wonder every single day? You may be wondering how. There's a profound quote said by St. Augustine, Men go abroad to wonder at the heights of the mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motion of the stars, and yet they pass by themselves without wondering. You are an object of wonder. People you run into every day are objects of wonder. Your neighbor, your family. You see, human beings are fascinating. God made us such complex, such unique creatures. And if you and I are willing to inquire and to search and to get to know people, we have the opportunity of experiencing wonder every day. Now we know that every beauty has its beast. Just as human beings can be fascinating and brilliant and creative and complex, things can go wrong. Our minds can sometimes be out of touch with reality. We can experience things in our bodies that affect us and hurl us into a sickbed. On today's podcast, I've chosen to talk about the rising effects of mental health issues in our culture and in our day and age. My guest today is Andrew Fountain. Andrew has been studying the topic of mental health issues and the Christian's response to it for the last five years. Andrew is still in the process of researching, and he came on the show to have a conversation about what he's discovered so far in his research concerning the Christian's response to mental health issues in our day and age. Tune in to find out what he has to say. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Danfi. It's good to have you on the show to talk about mental health issues. Before we start, I just wanted the listeners to get a little brief history of um, how you got to this topic, how you got to studying it, what piqued your interest. If you could just give us a, a brief description of how you got to where you're at now. Okay, well, um, I come from a science background. My PhD was in imaging, which is about uh, looking at the way the brain um, and the eye see objects and trying to replicate that with a computer using artificial intelligence techniques. And so coming from a science background, I was a university lecturer. I felt God calling me to completely change my career and be teaching the Bible. I felt that uh, God had given me a gift of teaching and it was more important to have people learning more about God than learning more about science. And so not that science isn't valuable. So I, I left that behind me and resigned my position and um, studied theology and wound up by being a, the principal of a theological seminary for nine years, and uh, which was great. I just loved, uh, you know, the Greek and the Hebrew and the exegesis and so on. But uh, I was um, a lot of administration doing that, and I really wanted to be, you know, with people, working with people, uh, seeing lives changed. And so I re- resigned that and planted a church in Toronto, which uh, a growing church and uh, in a downtown, in the downtown core. And uh, in the downtown of any city, you see a larger percentage of people who are struggling with their uh, mental illness problems. And, uh, and this was an exception. And I'm really looking for answers and looking for, for uh, changed lives. And uh, I, a few years ago, I started uh, looking at um, what was happening in the in, in uh, the academia, academia and psychology, and I discovered that a revolution had been going on. And uh, I discovered that um, the the areas of, of neuroscience 
and uh, attachment theory who were producing a huge revolution in uh, the way that we understood the brain. Uh, but at the same time, on the practical level, I saw this huge wave of mental illness and problems uh, and just being the systems that we have in our in our country being completely overwhelmed. Um, you know, if somebody has got a problem, um, they can go to their family doctor and they might get some drugs, which you know got, probably got little or no effectiveness. And then, or they might wait months to talk to somebody and then you know, maybe get a few sessions of CBT, which again may make no difference at all. And so we have, on the one hand, this great wave of mental illness problems. On the other hand, we have our systems overwhelmed and really no answer from our society for them. So it sounds like your interest came as a result of observing the mental illness within the city. Mm-hmm. Um, or was it, did you also notice it within the church? Or is it also a cultural thing that you felt as though you saw more of it um, being a being a problem and you wanted to respond to that from a Christian perspective? Yeah, I, I would say all of those. I mean, you don't have to look far on the news to see this problem all the time. You don't have to walk far in the streets to see this problem. And as I'm talking to people in the church and seeing issues in lives, I'm seeing this problem. Okay, so uh, just a quick question. What's the appropriate term? Is it mental health or is it mental illness? Or what, what should we use so that we don't offend, wrongly offend somebody when we say mental illness or is it what is it mental health or is it mental illness yeah um i don't think there's a problem with using either term um so one of the things i think that people feel who have struggled with mental illness is they're not taken seriously you know if you have a broken a broken leg everybody can see that and they can say okay you're ill you deserve some some to be that to be taken account of but somehow it's not real if you have mental illness and so people like to They'd like to acknowledge that there actually is a problem, even though it's an invisible one. Sure. Now, can you define what mental health is? Like, is there what falls under mental health, and right. is it a, is it a, is it a spectrum that is quite clear, or is there like a like within the spectrum, is there something that's more severe and something that's less severe? Right. So that's a good question. So uh, on the one hand, um, we can we can see a whole spectrum from people who are. You know, being forcibly hospitalised um, because of of um, you know complete um, psychosis, um, and on the other hand, on the other extreme, we can see people who are just having problems in their relationships, and those people we probably wouldn't characterise as having mental illness, but wanting better mental health. So let's go through. Um, we can one of the most common problems that we have is. Uh, is anxiety and depression they're amongst the most common but then they can uh, the, as they get severe you can you can have problems with um, eating disorders and self-harming and beginning to kind of move into the borderline with um, people having uh, maybe some schizophrenic episodes uh, trouble being in touch with reality moving into full-blown schizophrenia and then there are other issues like um, bipolar disorder a whole spectrum of um, disorders. Um, the whole question about whether you have diagnoses and what those are is very contentious nowadays with, uh, with um, um, it being recognized that diagnoses really are artificial. They're not like physical diagnoses where you can actually measure germs and mm-hmm. see them and you can say this person has malaria because we can see the germ. Right. It's not, they're very, so this is a, this contention. But anyway, so that's the, the, the mental illness. But if we look at 
how people are functioning in intimate relationships. We can see that people can be struggling with intimate relationships because of early life trauma or other issues. And there's a whole swathe of people who you wouldn't say are mentally ill, but nevertheless would want better mental health. Right. And when you look at that sector, we can probably see 50% of our society would like to improve in the area of um, how we handle relationship, how we handle closeness to others. So the the whole spectrum is pretty broad. Okay, that's interesting. And with, uh, I know part of um, the study is just that you saw a rising of it. It's just getting huge. I mean, right across the board, for every category is getting larger. Now, what I guess that's what I'm trying to discover. Is it that this isn't a topic or an issue that's always been present, but we haven't just really brought attention to it because we dealt with it in maybe ineffective ways? Or is it that because of our time and maybe the fact, well, I don't even know what the factors are that are causing this, that it's it's unique to our generation, that it's becoming more and more prevalent? What's, what is it? What can we say? Is it something that's always been around that's now being um, recognized and talked about? Or is it something that's been around, but now it's grown to a greater level of, uh, of an there, issue? There's no doubt that the, all of these things have always been around. Um, there, of course, there are problems with knowing exactly what the percentages are and you know, the prevalence of some of these things um, because of, you know, we can't go back and, and do our diagnosis in retrospect. There have always been the problems, but it does seem that um, problems related to early life attachment because of the instability in our society have increased. And also um, trauma that is comes about through having to become a refugee in another country or having some uh, some political problems, uh, those, they have always been around, but we are seeing a lot of those happening today. So I would say um, by by most metrics, we are seeing an increase. And um, that's that's my concern. That's, that's good. That's a good uh, explanation. Now, along with the increase, you said that um, mental health is always somewhat connected to a trauma what I discovered as I was doing the reading mm -hmm. was, as I was doing the study, there's been a lot of recent work, some of it, a lot of it coming out of uh, discoveries in neuroscience, because we now have the ability to look at somebody's brain in action and see areas lighting up with fMRIs. And this is extraordinary. It's, it's revolutionized a lot of ideas about how the brain works. And together with that, the, the science of attachment theory has become a very robust way of understanding how mental illness develops and predicting a resilience, predicting stability in, in a way that's measurable, robust, repeatable in, in a way that a lot of the previous psychology was just speculative and people's ideas. And this has been something that has been a revolution. And so one of the things that comes out of this is that um, attachment experiences can profoundly change somebody's model of how relationships work in the world and also their ability to survive trauma. And so early life attachments um, are, are critical and can be measured. So not just early life attachment, but that tends to be the evidence is that looks like it's more important than some of the things that happen later. So attachment is a, a real factor in this case for mental health. 
it is it is it, it can be measured and demonstrated you could do a, 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 a you can do an experiment on a 12 month old child it's called the strange situation experiment being done um, thousands probably tens or hundreds of thousands of times across every um, ethnic group uh, socioeconomic group and you can predict from the results of that child things that are going to happen later in life in terms of their intimate relationships very effective robust uh, model for measuring how attachment affects your your life experiences right in the research has there been a, a discovery that children or adults that come from a stable home with a mom and dad um, or even having some form of a stable relationship with grandparents or uncles and aunts does that decrease the likeliness of somebody having mental health issues we find that even having a grandparent or sometimes even a school teacher that is a secure attachment figure can actually change the way the child's brain develops. And so it's the actual neurobiology of the brain is, is developing at these early times and is working a model of how the child is to relate to the world. And the absence of attachment of people who are really there for them, that they can trust, um, will always have... A negative effect and even quite profoundly understanding the person's sense of self sense of who they are very good research on this um, the other way around you can't say that if somebody has a perfect childhood then they'll have no problems because um, for one thing they they often may report everything that's good but what you get as a report might actually not actually match the reality also um there are other later factors that happen and there are genetic factors. I don't want to deny that. There are other, um, and there are physical traumas, all kinds of things that can play into it. But the vast majority of problems with mental illness can be linked to these kind of early life experiences. So what's happened is with this new understanding, there have come new models of actually how you help people how you treat people and it's been discovered that some of the many of the fundamental assumptions that we were using psychotherapy are wrong they're false and they've got little help in bringing recovery so for example one of the assumptions is that if a person has great insight into the nature of their problems into why they're like they are then that will produce change but actually that's not true at all somebody can have huge insights but doesn't necessarily help what actually changes people is an experience uh, that touches the core of their being, uh, a new experience, usually in a relationship. Right. And that co a core experience can rewires the brain and can actually change their behavior. And uh, so this, um, this has led to a development of some very, very different ways of helping people with mental health issues which are new ways they're different ways and they can be dramatically effective dramatically faster and really genuinely bring healing to people bring recovery to people and uh, uh, just in a in a really exciting way that's not available in the older or the older methods of treatment again you said you just described a little bit of the newer methods of mm. um, of the solution what was the old way of doing things 
Uh, well, you can go back to Freud and you can do psycho, talk about psychoanalysis, where he's, he's really trying to gain an insight using Freud's model, which has got strengths and weaknesses. But the idea is, you know, somebody is in analysis and they can have like right. 10 years understanding what happened, but actually not changed at all. Right. Um, uh, and then there are other models of CBT, which are cognitive based therapy, which is a purely a mental model, right. which you go to take the person through some reasoning steps, you, you try and understand unhelpful thoughts and helpful thoughts and you kind of change their, their thinking which um which can give some short-term benefits but there are some studies showing it can actually have a negative effect in the longer term and really um, not not really truly helping because it's based on bad neuroscience it's based on bad a bad theory of the brain right so it sounds like the old way was uh, more fascinated with trying to discover what's causing what kind of thoughts this person's having or trying to give give that person some insight into what they're going through so that it could be i guess getting that insight was a way of kind of dealing with the issue but you've just said that gaining insight is not enough yeah that you need an experience right so so an analogy would be you know you you forget to put oil in your car and you know your car burns out and you take it to the garage and um so the guy starts to tell you about how oil works and about how the oil pumps work and why it needs to get this part. And, and you end up with a tremendous insight into why cars need oil and how it works. But like, you need this car fixed. Right, right, right. <laughs> what you really need to know is you need these bearings replaced because they've burned out. Right. And you need these surfaces redone and you need right. new, new places here that have been destroyed by oil. So the insight has got nothing to do with what needs to happen. Now, that's not quite the same. It's still useful to get insight. Sure. But the idea that insight produces healing is obviously wrong in the area of your car. Right. And it's it's equally wrong as an idea in the right. area of the brain. I want to say one more thing. Another common misconception is the medical model of mental illness, which has been completely discredited. The idea that actually it's, you're short of certain chemicals in your brain. And if you can supply those chemicals, everything will work. And that was the drug companies were behind that. Of course, it's made a huge amount of money for them. Mm-hmm. And it's not, I want to say that there's no value in, in some, some drugs, in some short-term help, but that model of why we have mental illness has been discredited. Now, I want to go into exactly, you talked about um, that creating a new experience is one part of the antidote right. of overcoming mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I do agree with you that I have, I've had experiences with people who would probably have mental health issues. And one of the most things that's always confounding is that they can say really insightful things. And like you said, they, they know what's going on. But then in the same breath that they say something insightful, they say something also completely out of reality. Mm-hmm. So you're saying um, to create, to help these individuals come through these mental health issues is to create new attachment experiences for them, new bonding experiences, new um, just being there for them and talking through things helps them come through. Is that what you're saying? Um, okay, so uh, we don't have time uh, here for me to describe what the new tools are. I mean, that is the goal, but there's a lot more to it when you actually talk about what you need to do to deeply change somebody at their core in terms of their model of of the world and right. the model of, of how relationships work. But essentially, what excited me as I was doing the work is I'm seeing these new tools. I see these new tools were basically... Um, they're based on the evidence. They're not based on a philosophical system. So they're sure. not based like on a belief system about how, who people are and how people, where people come from. Um, they're based on this evidence. And what I saw in this 
accorded very well with the biblical model of humanity. So I, I see, well, this is, this is quite remarkable. This fits in so well with, with a, world, a Christian worldview. Now, that shouldn't surprise us because all truth is God's truth. Right. If something is coming out of, of it, looking at what God has made, it would fit in with what God says. But some of the ideas like the importance of love in healing and um, the promise of never being abandoned and undoing deep aloneness really fit in well with uh, what God, how God has described us as humans and the way God speaks to us in terms of I will not abandon you and the idea of covenant, the idea of this kind of union with Christ, this kind of deep connection that we have that God offers us. It's, I'm seeing the same kind of language that is coming out of some of this empirical research. And this really excites me because I see this presenting an opportunity for Christians uh, who already understand these concepts but don't have the tools for delivering them right. to couple with these new tools and uh, to, to really use this for the kingdom in the context of the gospel. So I'm very excited that it's possible to couple some of these new tools with a Christian worldview and see people changed for the better in their mental health. Right, that's that's good. So so you would say that we pretty much have uh, the advantage as Christians because we already should be living this way, emulating these aspects that re, uh, science is getting to pretty much deal with mental health, which is creating a stable place, right? Love, uh, acceptance, and taking away that feeling of loneliness, right? Because this is what's something revealed to us in scripture and how we ought to live within the church. So you're saying that this is pretty much the science is almost coming to the church, not intentionally, but like in, in their research, they're coming to some of the conclusions that the church has already reached if it's operating in a way that it should. Well, that last statement you said is critical because unfortunately we don't see in the church uh, the kind of, um, of depth of relationship that, that the Bible describes. And I feel that um, this is a, a call to action for the church, that we need to be a place of deep healing, which unfortunately, in most cases, we're not. Right. And um, when I say that what science is coming up accords well with the scriptures, I'm not saying it accords well with how we actually have put those into practice in our lives. Sure. But it can actually be helpful to challenge us to say, if we were to really put this pra into practice, then we would be a healing community. Yeah, that's, that's very profound. Now, I want to know, okay, so in what ways have we not been effective? And how can we, in a concrete way, be better? Okay, so I would like to start with this, that um, Jesus came to reveal God's love to the world. Sure. And he says, he very clearly lays this out um, when he, in, in John 17, he says that uh, uh, when I return to the Father, I, I want you to continue to make known my, my love to this world. He says that the love you have for me may be in them. That's John seventeen twenty six. When Jesus was in this world, he reached to the outcasts of society. He reached to the, to, you know, to the lepers, to the sick, to the brokenhearted. This was his ministry. And I see there's a very clear calling for us as Christians to follow Jesus' ministry in this area. So I feel that this is just not a nice, uh, cool opportunity we have, but this is, should be the core of who we are as God's people. And so um, uh, as, I, as I see this remarkable opportunity, I feel that God's given me the vision 
to take these new insights and to make them available for the kingdom. And so for this reason, I'm um, immersing myself in the very best training I can get with these new tools, with the, the goal of formulating them in a model, in a Christian model, where they can be used in the, amongst God's people as a powerful demonstration of the love of God to a broken world, fulfilling the command of Jesus, reaching the, the those in society that he would reach. That's good. Now, is this, so the, the path to implementing this, these new tools that you have, should we be careful not to take it as like a, a one-time like it's not like a medication you're giving to somebody and then automatically it works and then it's over. Uh, you don't have to follow up on the person. Um, or is it is it a journey in which you walk with somebody and you don't you can't really guarantee how long it's going to take, but you see a difference every step of the way as you go through this process. Because I feel maybe perhaps some of the reasons why the church has a problem with dealing with some of these mental health issues, because there's also a very supernatural aspect to the New Testament in which we see Jesus touching a leper and then they're healed. And it's so we, we look at these instances and we think, OK, well, we should be dealing with ailments in these ways. Based on the tradition you come from, you probably are more likely to be like, let's pray for this person so that they get over it and then move on. Uh, whereas you might be saying there's more to that. There might be an element. There is a miraculous element to someone probably becoming instant, inst- instantly healed. But there's also another aspect in which we walk with somebody. And Christ, as you said, modeled that for us. Can you go a little bit so more I into love, that? I love your expression, walking with someone, because I think that that's not only is that very biblical, but it actually fits in very closely with what we're talking about in these new models and um, being with somebody. And so I think that if we're looking for um, images from the scripture, Jesus Christ came to be with us. And the idea of being with somebody is crucial. And the old model is the doctor-patient model. And we, you know, we've got, we've, we've got that from the world. And often that's in the church. You know, I'm, this, I'm the, the, you know, the wonderful healed person and you're, you know, the, you're the poor benighted person mm-hmm. that I need to, to minister to. But, that, but the Bible says weep with those who weep. Right. And, and, and being with somebody is, is a crucial thing. Not that we're, we're suffering as they are, but nevertheless, we, there's an empathy there. And so I, this isn't about formulae. Uh, in many ways, this is about developing yourself in ways that make you more able to work with people because it's who you are, hmm. not things that you can do or say, but it's who you are that's critical to this kind of thing. Um, so I would say that um, it's not like a quick fix, although somebody can very rapidly um, have some transformation experiences. So I don't want to deny that, but that's not all people need. People need to be part of a community that is a healing community. So I would say both aspects are necessary, but even the aspect of of something that's rapid is some is rapid in sense of having experience of somebody being with you mm-hmm. and really just weeping with you and having an empathy with you as Jesus Christ would. So going back to your other question um, about, about um, you know, praying for somebody and supernatural, absolutely, I believe in supernatural healing and somebody can be, can be healed in a moment with a prayer and both physically and, 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 and emotionally. However, the, the mission of the church, of the kingdom, has often 
um, been tremendously helped by Christians looking after the sick physically. And you look at the history of missions, you know, Christians have built hospitals, Christians have actually gone out and helped the sick. And if they'd said, oh, we're only interested in helping you if we can just touch you and heal you immediately, then think what have been would, would have been lost in right. history, the history of missions. Right. So I think it's both. We pray for people. And in some sense, every healing is supernatural. Yeah. But the idea that, um, that somehow uh, we're not needed in showing God's love to the world sure. runs against what Jesus says in John 17. And it seems to me that Jesus is very concerned that people receive his love through us because we are actually modeling that and, and we this is our, our job and so in some senses if if healing with mental health healing was always instant and with a prayer you, we wouldn't need to love people right we could just take right. it wouldn't we wouldn't have to get our hands dirty but part of the core of the gospel is that we as people are willing to be with those in pain right. just as jesus was willing to be with us i love how you said that uh jesus or God came to be with us, and Jesus was that manifestation of God's love. And it's interesting to think because God could have just came for two years and probably done a lot in two years, mm. but he was here for 33 years. He was. You know, and, uh, and it's, it's interesting you say that because we, it sounds like we have to be willing to go the long route, to be messy, to deal with the, the pain of it, you know, and sometimes the joys of it. Um, and it's really about counting the cost, isn't it? It is, indeed. Very much so. Very much so. So if, if, if we decide as Christians to move this in, into this new venture of being the answer to mental health, what kind of advice could you give Christians? And also, is there any way in which the word of God has an impact on the mind? If Christians are at least, I mean, if you're talking to somebody and they're in their sickbed or something, can you read the scriptures to them? Is there a supernatural aspect to just reading the word over somebody? What kind of ways in which can Christians yeah. go? So, so um, I want to be careful when I say, um, you know, giving people insights isn't going to help them. Um, the Bible talks about the mind. It also talks about the heart. And truth can affect us in different ways. And we can have an experience through truth. Right. We can we can we can read the words in the scripture about Jesus dying for us, and we can have an experience of God's love at that point. Uh, it's the what I'm talking really about is not the the intellectual side of that not being necessarily helpful. Although, you know, it can be helpful to have an intellectual understanding of what's wrong with you. That's not that's unhelpful, but but um, I would say reading the scripture over somebody prayerfully. It can give them an experience of God, which um, you know that's what the Spirit's about. Mm. That we that we have God in our hearts. I guess another question I have is, when we are looking to be with the with individuals who are struggling with mental health, what kind of disposition should we take? Should we take the disposition of a patient patient doctor model, or should we? come alongside of them, recognizing that we can also learn from these individuals and that profound things can come from someone's mouth that's right. having mental health issues, yeah. that we shouldn't put ourselves in a place that we're just only there to help and not even be blessed. Is that something that we should uh, consider? Yeah, so part of the part of the work, uh, the scientific research, is the value of authenticity and being real and not being a persona that is just blank. And being having a, some level um, being vulnerable when you're with somebody is so important to them feeling that you're with them it's critical and um, which i think is what we see in the bible at least what you know what we should be 
practicing from the Bible. So I would say um, you, you, you're with them. You don't see them. You know, I'm, I'm, we're two broken people walking together. You may have a different kind of brokenness to me, right. but we're two broken people walking together. Right. And I'm and I'm going to be interested in what you say, and you may have some profound things that you say. Right. But that's the how it's that's how it is at fundamental level. That's good. How do you deal with uh, individuals who with mental issues that push back on us, where they resist and perhaps don't want us to come close? How do we deal with that? Yeah, no, that's a very that's a very important thing. And now, what I'm not able to do in this talk is to give you all the answers. Right. But there's some very very good work done in this area, and um, and you can actually it can take longer, but you can very effectively deal with that particular issue. Um, that kind of defensive avoidant. Um, I've got my walls up. I'm an island model, which affects probably the estimates are about 25% of the population are in that kind of category. Mm-hmm. And uh, that can be very damaging to intimate relationships when somebody has that kind of model. And um, uh, yeah, there are some really effective ways of working and helping somebody gain the trust to allow another person in. Right. Do you think it's a defense mechanism to see who's really wanting to knock down those walls? So they push back to see who's actually going to keep coming? Or is it really because they don't want anybody to come in? What, what, what do you think those... There factors? can be many reasons for it. It's a complex thing. Uh, there can be many things that have, have led up to that. There can be experiences of being invaded and of having no internal space. And um, there can be um, uh, experiences of being vulnerable and then getting extremely hurt by that. Right. A number of different things. Uh, but um, it's experiences generally that have created that, and it's only going to be undone by experience. You can't reason somebody into letting down their defenses. Right. You have to create a level of safety that is so good that the person is willing to open a crack, and that there has to be a good experience that enables them to go the whole way and show really show who they are. But once somebody like that has had an experience where they're completely open and vulnerable and it's been good and it's been safe, it changes them. It rewires their brain. They then can have the confidence in other relationships. That's good. What's the consequences of us not taking this issue seriously? We're missing out on an opportunity for the kingdom. We're missing out on what I believe is core to who we are as Christians, to be Jesus Christ to this world. Yes, that's and that's a really good uh, statement. Now, is there also the aspect of if we don't take initiative and really take a hold of this and be the people of God to the world um, and even to people in the church who are battling mental health, that we may lose people, like through death or even through just do like can the ramifications be that far? In a downtown church with a lot of people from the local area, the inner city, we're seeing a lot of people battling with mental health issues. And yes, if they're not getting what they need from the social services available, and yeah, they, we're going to lose them if they don't, if we don't. In, well, I mean, God can do, God is sovereign. He can do what he, whatever he, he, he can do in circumstances. But uh, we are seeing people who are failing 
I mean, people are committing suicide. Christians sometimes commit suicide. Um, people are, you know, going downhill. And so this is important pastorally. And I, I see, uh, as I talk about this kind of thing, I see pastors saying, yeah, we need this. Andrew, I need more about this. Right. Uh, because pastors see this problem and they see the huge weight uh, it, it is on, on the church if they don't have mechanisms for dealing with it. Right. How do we, um, how do we talk to the, the section of the church that is completely against medication and um, think, they think that it, we shouldn't even result to medication, that through prayer and through different methods we can, um, we can overcome this? Uh, and then also, how do we talk to the other side of the church that would probably be more quickly to medicate immediately and use those, um, those methods to overcome mental health? Is there a middle ground? Well, I'm not promoting medication. Okay. So as I said earlier, it's... Um, uh, the, the medical model of mental illness is, is not good. Right. Uh, got good basis to it. Um, but would you be are, against it? No, I'm not. I think there are times. So there are certain there are certain particular sicknesses. So a certain kind of bipolar disorder. There's very good evidence that it responds well to um, to, to certain medications. And the same with um, certain kinds of schizophrenia. And I'm not really dealing with. I'm not going to start getting in the way and like. If somebody's under a doctor, I don't think we should start, you know, telling you know the doctor what to do. Right. But um, uh, so I I think that um, there are certain places where medication is quite appropriate. Right. So um, parts of the church would be against anything. There's there's very few people that would be against any kind of medication. You know, mm. if you've got malaria, right. you know, do you not take anything. There are some people who would be like that. Right. I would say, well. You know, it's it's a very dangerous position to take where you say don't avail yourself of any of modern medicine. That's extremely dangerous. Right. That's yeah. That's that's interesting. And um, I I think and I hear what you're saying that you're not completely against medication when it's important. But however, there are other methods, and this is what you're espousing right now. Yeah. So I'm not suggesting. So so I, I really want to say that um, with uh, with really extreme medical problems with a psychosis where there's um somebody is uh very severely mentally ill that we should say oh no we can deal with it right i you know there there are we should is there a point where a professional does need to be involved sure uh, but i think even in situations like that christians can be a big help in getting around the person and and helping with the problem right but I'm not going to, uh, I think it's very dangerous once you say, oh no, leave it to us, we can fix it, uh, you know, even in, in things that are severe. Sure. So, a few questions left. I was wondering, so if there's a family listening, or maybe a family member that's listening, and they have somebody in their family that's dealing with mental health issues, what would you say to them in kind of walking with that family member or whatnot? And in the same respect, if there's somebody who's listening who's battling mental health issues, what would you say to them? What are the different, you know, remedies that you would suggest to the family member dealing with somebody with uh, mental health issues or to the person dealing with mental okay. issues? Okay, so um, I hope I'll be able to give a fuller answer in a year or two when I've, I'm getting some, I, I can actually put some uh, programs together. That's what I'm working on right now. In the meantime, I would say this. Some meta studies that have been done of the effectiveness of um, psychotherapy uh, have determined that if you look at all of the different kinds of psychotherapy out there, the whole range of different kinds of things, 
only 8% of the effectiveness can be attributed to the model of psychotherapy. The rest of it is pretty much down to the quality of the relationship between the therapist and the individual and the commitment to the individual to, 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 to get better. And so I would say that if, you, you know, if you're looking for a mental health professional or a counsellor to help you, the key thing to look for is whether you feel safe with them, whether you feel comfortable with them, because likely that's the, input, that's the thing that's going to really help you rather than any model they may be using. Even people using a, a bad model can actually end up healing people because they're so, they've got so much empathy. Right, right. And so they're, they're just who they are as a person. Right. So the critical thing is who they are. Do you feel safe with them? Do you feel that they are really interested in you? Right. Do they really get you? Or do, are they seeing you just as a project, just as somebody to check off on their list? Right, right. And to so the family member? So as a family member, I, I hope to produce something I like some guidelines for that um, in the next few months. Um, I can't kind of give you some things off the, the top of my head, except to say, walk with them, listen to them. Our listening skills are so important. Don't try to fix them because that can be so demeaning to somebody to, to, right. to tell, you know, I, I understand your problem so well. I'm just going to tell you, you should do this. Don't try and fix them. Sure. Don't try and tell them to jolly themselves out of the, you know, bring them out of their, make them think positively. Don't try and do that. Sure. Um, the fact that you are, feel their pain, that you weep with those who weep, um, that you um, are willing to listen to them, that you're with them, um, you're not going to try and give them a quick fix. Right. Those are going to be hugely helpful for them. So one last question. If you had 30 seconds to talk to someone who is battling intense mental health issues and they don't see a way out, in fact, they want to end it all, what would you say to that person? Okay, as you're saying that, and several things like, okay, they're battling mental health, but they want to commit suicide right away. Right. Well, uh, you know... It, they've gotten to the point where they don't see any reason to keep going yeah yeah so i would uh i would try and create safety between us so i would say um uh i would immediately start with empathy and just say wow i can't believe what it's like to be in or can't can't begin to understand what it's like to be in your situation uh this must be unbearable for you um how how you how does it feel to you to be like this and um, allow them to validate their emotion about how mm -hmm. they're feeling and just allow them to express to me and create a space for them to tell me how they're feeling and um, basically reflect to them that this is distressing for me to feel that, that they're like that, that I'm kind of, I'm listening. Mm -hmm. So using some listening skills and not try and kind of tell them, oh, you shouldn't feel like that, you're a great person, you know, you've got so much to live for. Right. Um, because... By actually giving them attention and really trying to listen to them, I'm valuing them as a person. Sure. And by valuing them as a person, I'm actually giving them value rather than just saying, oh, you have value and giving them value an experience of somebody who effectively saying you're so important that I'm actually willing to give you my full attention for this time now because you're important is in fact going to be the experience that's important for them. Wow, that's really insightful. 
partly because I feel like most people, including myself, would give the person all the reasons why they should be willing to live because they're gifted or they have a good family or they have a nice wife or a nice husband or whatever it is. We always want to provide reasons for why someone shouldn't give up. And what you say is really insightful, just giving them value and recognizing where they're at and pretty much humanizing with them that their experiences are real and valid. Um, and Yeah, the problem is if I've only got 60 seconds with them, then that's there's a very... That's not going to be tremendously useful because I would go on from them to um, to allow that experience to, un- to to unfold. And what I would find is with about five or ten minutes of telling me that experience, it would actually lift. Right. And and I've seen this I've seen this countless times. If you really engage with somebody's experience, you know, five or ten minutes, they they're looking a bit different, and you say, "How are you feeling now?" And they say you know what, I just feel a weight's been lifted off me. Mm. I just feel lighter now. Right. And and you can say, well, do you feel that I'm with you in this? Yeah, I just, I just feel like I'm less alone now. Right. And that core, understand, that core understanding that people, we need to undo people's aloneness is so important because God created us to be in a relationship. And for somebody to see you in your darkness and to say, I want to be with you in your darkness. And can bring people out shockingly quickly. And you would be yeah. surprised, you know, five or 10 minutes later, they could be saying, I'm feeling a weight has come off me. Right. And, <laughs> and they've had, and they don't really know why, but there's an energy that's come into them. Now, there's a lot more things. I mean, that's, I, that's just one. I would do a lot more than that. Sure. I, would, I would be doing a lot of other things at the same time and, and moving towards other places. But um, that would be how I would start with somebody in that place. That's excellent. That's very good. So where's the immaterial treasure in this pursuit? Uh, the immaterial treasure is that people are in the image of God. The human being is the most incredible, wonderful thing. And even the most broken person is actually a jewel. Mm. And watching somebody come from being like a, a broken piece of, of, of uh, disgusting, um, uh, you know, mire to, to, to be able to push that aside and see the diamond underneath mm. is such an extraordinary experience for me to do and for, for us to do. And this is what Jesus did to us. You know, right. he took us from the miry clay and brought us to a place where, you know, we are, we're glorious. And so we have the opportunity to do the work of Jesus, to, to bring treasure yeah. Yeah, out, of, out of what doesn't look like treasure. It's God's creation. Humanity is the highest point of God's creation. That we are in the image of God. We reflect his glory. What could be more treasure than something created in God's image? That's excellent. That's excellent. Thank you for sharing that. Um, if somebody was listening to this and they wanted to get in contact with you, how would they be able to do that? Okay, so um, the email will be in the show notes. Can okay, I yeah, we'll, we'll <laughs> okay. add that in there. Okay. Yeah, thank you, Andrew, for sharing. Right. Okay. And it's been good. All right.